Is Jesus really the only way to God? How can a loving God save some and not others? What would Jesus say to my LGBTI friends? Can I trust the Bible? How can a good God allow suffering? How can I find God's will for my life? Can I lose my faith and what can I do to grow it? If God is sovereign, do we actually have free will? How would a Christian approach sex and dating? Can women lead in the church? You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. Welcome, friends. Um, before, <clears throat> excuse me. Before I begin, I just want to say something. One of one of the things that we love about our church and love about this community is that it's a big tent, right? There's every tribe and tongue here. There's people from every kind of denominational background, every kind of theological background, and we really want to foster that. We really love the fact that you know we can look out and there's vast array of different kind of people, and uh, what. I just want to say, last week I, I said something in a sermon that was pretty dumb, and I just want to own up to that and ask forgiveness. Um, so we were talking about big ideas like election and um, God's, God's forgiveness, and uh, I was talking about this idea of once saved, always saved, and I described it as idiotic, uh, and it's just, that's just not the kind of pastor or preacher or community that we want to be. Um, and it was just a dumb thing to say, and I just want to own that and say, I'm really sorry. Um, and so I know that this series has been pretty long, and uh, we've, it's, in some ways it's been divisive, because we've talked about these big topics, and we've tried to sit under the scriptures, and there's probably some of you maybe are wondering, hey, you know, is this the church for me? Well, I, I hope that this is the church that you see, that this is the kind of church that really, really, really wants to pursue Jesus with everything we have. And that means that sometimes the hotshot pastor is going to come up and say, I did a dumb thing and I really need your forgiveness, but let's pursue Jesus together. Um, so I just wanted to say that and own up to that and uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to approach this really small topic. <laughs> All right. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and forgiveness, that you are a God of love. And I just pray that you pour that out upon us this morning, that as we submit to your scriptures and sit under your word and as we're filled with your spirit, Father, that we would have marriages and relationships and lives that glorify you in all things. Father, I pray that the words of Paul uh, would be true, that we would have undivided devotion to the Lord. I pray that this morning would be one more step and one more stone towards making all of life all about Jesus all the time and the church said in one big voice, Amen. So to be, to be honest with you, I've actually been really looking forward to this topic for a number of reasons. One is that the past two sermons that I've preached have been enormous theological topics. So uh, last week I talked about uh, election and how can God be sovereign and how can we have free will. And the time before that I said, what would Jesus say to my LGBTI friends? Like really, really weighty topics. And so I thought, ah, oh, great, I could sink my teeth into sex and we can talk about that and that'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, <clears throat> and then on Wednesday night and Thursday morning, my wife uh, had severe chest pains and in the morning she was uh, taken to hospital and they've discovered a growth between her lungs. And suddenly all the things that I'd written down and prepared to say became very hard because we don't know whether uh, she's got 
cancer or a tumour or um, a blood clot. We just, we just don't know anymore. And so suddenly all the things that I'd written down didn't, make, didn't, didn't hold the weight that they did before. They weren't as serious as they needed to be. And so now I stand before you and I have to talk about this topic and I'm wondering what to say um, because the truth is that you know, when you, you weigh up the words of Paul and of Jesus and Peter and the rest of the writers in the New Testament and you hold them up to the, what the popular level Christian books aimed at marriage talk about, they're just not, they're not even in the same stratosphere. They're, not, they're like chalk and cheese. The marriage books hadn't prepared me for what to do when my wife's in severe pain in hospital and they're doping her up on all these pills and we don't know what's going on. Oh, they just hadn't prepared us for that. And so the beautiful thing was that I was able to dive into the scriptures and find great comfort and great relief. And I want to do that this morning. Because I think that when we do hold up the words of Paul and of Jesus and compare them to what we find in popular level marriage books, it's just it's not the same. Like you, you consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 when he talks about marriage. And the, I love the disciples' response to this. Uh, this is what they say. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Right? Jesus' vision for marriage is so enormous and so difficult and so complex that the disciples in response couldn't even see it as good news. They're just like, that is so far outside our cultural norm that I can't even see this as good news anymore. And so what we've got to do today is look at the words of Jesus and of Paul and go, what, what kind of marriages, what kind of relationships, what kind of lives do we want to live? And I love what, I love what Francis Chan says. He's a pastor, um, was a pastor, now just travels everywhere. He says, you know, eternity has to change everything for Christians. The fact that there's a hell has to change everything. The fact that this could be the very last day and the very last breath that I ever breathe and that I will come before the Lord and give an account of my life and he's not going to ask me about how happy my marriage was. He's going to ask me how many disciples I made. What did I I do? Did I make all of life all about Jesus? You know, I love the book of 1 Corinthians. It's quoted at almost every wedding. Right, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. You know what, kind of, you know what I, want to, I want to hear from? I want to go to a wedding where they talk about 1 Corinthians 7. Right? It's not often talked about at weddings, but this is, let me just quote from 1 Corinthians 7. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited, so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they, as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want to see that at a wedding one day. Right? That would be pretty funny uh, just from a humorous context, right? But like, that's, that's pretty Full on. That's the words of Paul. Yes, he talks about in Ephesians 5 that we should love our wives like Christ of the church. And then he goes and makes this statement. And why does he do that? Because in verse 35, this is the, the big point of 1 Corinthians 7. 
Can we just go one over? It says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please him. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. And this is, this is really important in verse 35. This is it. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what I want to see at you know, a wedding sermon. Why should you be married to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord? Why do anything at all? Secure your undivided devotion in the Lord. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Right? The Bible's not a book about marriage or sex or dating primarily, right? It's a book about Jesus and about God and about how we bring him glory and about his surpassing worth in all things and how he's a treasure beyond anything that anything anything that we could possess. Right? And what, what happens is you know, divorce is so rampant. You know, and it's not any different inside or outside of the church. You know, there's so many divorces, so much brokenness, so much hard stuff going on. And what often happens is that in the light of this, we ramp up marriage. And so you have politicians running on family values and you have preachers preaching about the importance of marriage. And I'm not saying it, they're not important. I'm not saying... Uh, relationships aren't important. I'm just saying that often we elevate them to places that they weren't meant to hold. And it actually ends up harming our marriages rather than helping them. Right? Because what happens is that we ramp up the importance of marriage and so we focus on the marriage and so couples that were otherwise mission-focused and all about Jesus become self-centered and all about how they can be happier in their marriages. And it's just not about that. That's not... Like, I don't know how you can read that and get this. Because right? what happens is we ramp up the importance of marriage and either we've we got to focus on how to become happy or we realize that we're not happy anymore and so we've got to go to therapy and we've got to argue because it's not, it's not going on well. And you know, single people see that the, in marriage is so important so they focus on getting a relationship and getting married and having babies. Right? And they stop Securing their undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's whole thing in 1 Corinthians 7 was that the time is near. He believed that Jesus was coming back. And so because of that, we had to make all of life all about Jesus. That was the primary point, the purpose. The goal is undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, we don't talk about this in church very much. But there are so many happy marriages within the church that will have eternal meaninglessness. You can have a happy marriage and have nothing going on with eternity. Right? Like you could go on the trips with your kids, you can take them overseas, you can go to the theme parks, you can rack up the sports trophies. But how many how many people have you discipled? Do your neighbors know the gospel? Are you praying for them as a family? Are you sitting together in the word? 
Right? How often do we think of like eternity? How often do we think of securing our undivided devotion to the Lord? Like that's what matters. That's what Paul's point is. It's not, it's not saying don't, you know, if you're married, pretend that you don't have a wife. Right? That that'd be a dumb thing to say. It says he doesn't even say that. He says in uh, where is it? 27 and 28. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Right? He's not saying that. What he's saying is the primary, most important thing is pursuing Jesus and securing your undivided devotion to him. That's the point. I love hearing the story of a guy called Brad Buser. Now, Brad's a surfer dude from uh, California, right? When he was 18, he heard the gospel. Got saved, transformed his life, and uh, eventually, about the age of 19, 20, he heard the Great Commission, right? Go out and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Lord and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, right? And so he's like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so he goes off to learn how to be a missionary, and he, he finds his wife, Beth, and they have some kids together, and then they go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, where they go to live. And they establish a church there that is still there to this day, right? They translate the New Testament for the first time in the language of numbers of the tribes that are there, and it was crazy difficult for them. Like there are times when Brad's holding up his child who's filled with fever and he's like, what, what have I done? What have I brought my kids into? And there's times where he's been helicoptered out of the jungles because he's in a coma and they're worried he might die. And there's a story that he tells of he baptizes 20 people and a neighboring tribe bring bows and arrows and starts shooting at them. Right, so why does he do this? This is what he says. I could look my kids in the eye and you saw how mum and I risked everything for the gospel, even your lives. There was nothing more beautiful to us than the gospel. Now go and do the same. Come on. That's what securing undivided devotion to the Lord looks like. Now, two of his kids are now back in PNG, winning their own tribes for the Lord. I'm not saying that we should all go and be missionaries, but what kind of foundation are we laying down in our marriages and in our relationships and in our lives? Like if someone peered into the day-to-day movings of what you do, would they see that you treasure Jesus Christ above all other things? Would they be able to see that we risk everything for the gospel, that there's no, nothing more beautiful to us than the good news of Jesus. Like, would they be able to see that? Like, why are Brad's kids like, going hanging out in PNG? Because that's what they saw their mom and dad do, and that's what they saw their friends do. Like, that was the standard. We've got to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. And Jesus elsewhere has these words to say. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied in Mark 10, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, 
brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. He's saying you know, that there's going to be things that you might have to give up for the surpassing worth of knowing the gospel and spreading it everywhere. Right? And we, we just don't talk about this. Like, almost anywhere. We, we've got to weigh these things up. We often emphasize and we elevate certain passages because they run with our narratives and then we de-emphasize others because they don't fit in. Right? Because the Jesus who describes marriages between one man and one woman and flesh being united together also says you might have to give that up for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the glory of God. Right? And Paul, who describes marriage, right? he says, husbands love your wives like Christ did the church, like lay your life down for her. He also says you should live as if you don't have one. Right? How do we weigh these things? We have to weigh them because they're all true. And one of the things that I've been thinking about earlier in the week, I actually, Sarah and I had actually gone away to Anglesey for a bit of retreat and respite. And uh, you know, one of the things I always think about is, you know, like, why is this working? Like, well, we don't fight very much. Um, you know, our relationship's pretty strong. You know, I love you very much. I think you love me. And you know, I just don't, we just don't do any of the things that we're meant to do like as married couples. We don't go on date nights very much. I keep forgetting what love language Sarah's meant to have, right? Uh, I don't clean up the house enough, and she doesn't laugh at my jokes, and, um, you know, we're, we're grumpy. And I just think it's because we're on a mission together. Like, that's the whole point. Like, you know, if, if this is true... If what Jesus has to say is true, that the gospel is real and that Jesus is coming back soon and that there are people who are dying, well, you know, we just don't have time for that. We don't have time to be angry about who didn't close the door outside and, you know, it just, it's just meaningless. There's so much more at stake here. Like the Bible describes that there's a war going on, like a spiritual war and so many of us just, just don't want to think about it. You know, this is what um, uh, second, Ephesians, I changed the verse just before. It says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Elsewhere, it talks about, oh uh, yeah, here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like we, don't, we need to live in light of that. Like there is a struggle going on outside. And I want you to imagine something for a moment. Like I want you to imagine that whatever, whatever you've been working to, towards as a family has is, is happened, right? So maybe like the white picket fence and like the nice house and you've got the garden, right? And you've got the flat screen TV and you've got the happy family all sitting there, right? And then I want you to imagine that as you're sitting in your home, there's a war going on and your friends and your family are dying. And what so many of us end up doing is even though there's a war going on, we call up the contractors to put in the bigger television and we make sure that the windows are done in such a way that the noise is filtered and just blocked out. But there is a war going on and people are dying because they don't know the good news. Right? 
And that's, you know, whether you're married or single or dating, whatever. Like, that's the point. Make all of life all about Jesus. Secure your undivided devotion to Him. You know, last year, we saw you know, sports teams. Last year, we saw Western Bulldogs right, win the premiership flag in the AFL. And it was surprising. They were the first team outside of the top four to take the flag. And everyone was befuddled. And they talked about their unity and their community and just how close they were as a team and how much passion they had. And you know, let me tell you, they're not sitting around their training field singing Kumbaya right, and holding hands. Like, they're not going to therapy sessions. Like, that can be really helpful sometimes. I'm not saying don't do that. That's just not what they're doing, right? What they're doing is that they've got a mission that they're pursuing with every fiber in their being and in their body, and unity was just a byproduct. Like, unity is often a byproduct of pursuing Jesus as much as you can. You know, that's, that's the point, pursuing Jesus. And you think even like something similar, like Psalm, Psalm 23 is like this great encouragement to so many of us. Like Phil prayed it for me, like before the service, and it's encouraging. Like, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Right? And what, what is he talking about? He's saying, like, for the Christian We need to be so satisfied in Jesus that it consumes and transforms everything else in our reality. Are you satisfied in Him? Are you joyous in Him? Like so many of our relational conflicts, you know, they're not they're not relational problems, they're God problems. Because our we're not satisfied in Him. We're not we can't say that. We can't say that I lack nothing, right? We're not finding that in him. And so when we don't find that in God, what we do is we place it on someone else's shoulders. And you know, in a marriage, you just can't hold that. Like, I can't be Jesus for Sarah. Right? I'm a really bad Jesus. Like, I couldn't even go 40 minutes without having to say, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, I stuffed up. I said dumb things, right? I'm not able to bear that weight for Sarah, and when we are not satisfied in him, when we're not satisfied in God, when we're not satisfied in Jesus and the surpassing worth of knowing him, and we place that on the, on the shoulders of our partners or our boyfriends or our girlfriends or our husbands, right? What happens is they die. Right? That weight just will make them collapse. It just doesn't work. And we're so needy sometimes. It's because we're not satisfied in Him. We haven't got everything that we need from the one who can supply all that we need. And so I thought, you know, that's that's the majority of what I want to say. But I thought, you know, what we can do is we there's some common questions that pop up every time we talk about sex and dating, and singleness, and marriage, and to be honest, I haven't really even talked about most of those things, because I think the main point is the same, like, if you're single, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, if you're dating, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, if you're married, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, like, that's the point, 
Like, don't be married so that you can be married. Be married so that it helps you make all of life all about Jesus. You know what I mean? So here's some of the common questions that we go on about. And uh, <laughs> I love this question. Because right? this is the question that I wanted to ask. And uh, I, the interesting thing is that the more that I've grown and the more that I've been married, and I've been married for seven years now, and so I understand these things a bit more than I did when I was um, younger and dumber. Um, you know, how far is too far before marriage? And it's a good question because the heart behind it is I want to glorify Jesus, I want to honor him, I want to be holy. And the problem is it's sort of just like asking like, how much meat can I put in my pockets before the bear in front of me will come and chase me? Like, why are you doing that? Do you know what I mean? Like, if there's a bear in front of you, don't do things that are going to provoke it to eat you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Because the thrust of the question is in the wrong direction. It's asking, how much sin can I do before I get into real trouble? And the real thing is, like, how can I secure my undivided devotion to the Lord? How can I glorify him? Is this glorifying God? Is this befitting someone who's making all of life all about Jesus? And, you know, I, I ask this question, and I just got dumb responses back, really bad responses back. Because here's, here's what someone once said to me. And uh, I remember Jeff Vanderstelt talking about this as well. I got told, you should wait until marriage to have sex, because then it will be better. Right? And just by all the murmurings in the crowd, you know that that's not true. Like, sex isn't better when you wait for it. Like, I don't know how, what your first nights were like. Mine was okay. <laughs> like, it was okay. Like, it was, it was meaningful because we'd waited and, like, we'd, um, we'd been faithful to each other. And so, like, it really meant something to us. But, like, you know, everything worked. And, uh, like, but it was okay. Like, the reality is that sex isn't better when you wait for it. Sex is better when you have sex and you get better at it, right? So that's just a really bad reason to wait to have sex. But I love what Jeff Vanderstelt said, right? He's like, no, 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 the reason that you wait to have sex is that you actually proclaim the gospel through your faithfulness and your waiting, right? Because Christians believe that there is a faithful husband who's waiting for his bride. And he's been faithful for thousands of years despite cheating, right? And there will be a consummation feast that will surpass all things. So when we're faithful to each other, we actually get to proclaim the gospel and the good news. You know, I think it was one of the hardest things for some of um, Sarah and my friends to wrap their heads around, the fact that we'd, they waited to have sex. And uh, you know, they were like, well, you know, what if you're not good at it? Or like, what if you know, your chemistry's not there and... I don't know, other silly things that people say. It's just not the point. Sex is a good gift from God. It's something that we can glorify God for, right? The point of sex is to be unified. So the reason that we wait is because we get to proclaim the good news. There is a God who's been abundantly faithful to us and is waiting for his bride so that that can be consummated. We get to proclaim the gospel through our purity and our faithfulness. What about number two? How can my singleness bring glory to God? And I think this is one of the biggest 
downfalls of the church is that the way we've talked about marriage and relationships has just meant that for anyone who's not in one, right, it's like you're a subhuman, you're, you know, you just, you suck, right? You're not very good, you've stuffed it up. Like the point is to be um, someone who, you know, can have a family and have kids. I just go, oh man, that's not the point at all. The point is to secure undivided devotion to the Lord and to make all of life about Him. You don't need a husband or a wife to do that, right? What do you need to do that? You need Jesus and you have Him. How can I bring glory to God in my singleness? You bring glory to God by bringing glory to God, by making all of life about Him, by pursuing Him to the ends of the earth. And there are going to be things that single people can do that I just can't do anymore. Like I have responsibilities that I gotta take care of at home. I gotta make sure there's a house over our heads. You know, there's things I've got to go take care of for Sarah, because I want to be a good husband and I want to love her well. And if you're single, you don't have to worry about that. You can have undivided devotion to the Lord. Like, why do we, what do we say all the time? This church exists to be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. That's the point. Like, that's the reason that you are alive. You are alive to make all of life all about Jesus. And so if you're single right now, you get to do the very thing that you were created for with undivided devotion. That is a blessing and an honor. Next question. Should I date someone who isn't a Christian? I did this. It didn't work very well. And we often talk about missionary dating. And uh, yeah, I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see this anymore. I don't see it working. I don't see it playing out. I just don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because what the heart behind the question is actually, I want to be satisfied and I want something, right? It's not, how do I glorify God? How do I make life about Him? How do I pursue Him? How do I secure my undivided devotion to Him? And the Bible's very clear. Like it, it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What does righteousness have and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Like it's just said, don't do it. Why? Because you're going to be so different. Like you can't live on mission to the glory of God if you've got someone who's you know, all about Jesus and someone who's all about something else. Like it just doesn't, doesn't make sense, right? I can't imagine Brad, you know, the missionary story we told before, meeting Beth, and Beth's like, nah, probably won't go to PNG. He's like, oh, okay, right? God misses out on his glory. Like, PNG doesn't get the gospel. Even, even me, right? I'm not as impressive as Brad, right? But do you know how much of a blessing it was that when I felt the call of God to come to Caroline Springs and move 50 Ks away from our friends and our family, and we don't, we don't see as much anymore, and so we had to give that up, and you know, we have to drive an hour over there, right? Sarah never wanted that. Sarah wanted to be close to her parents, be close to her mom, her sisters, right? Now, if I go to her and say, hey, I feel like the Lord's put this on my heart to pursue him in Caroline Springs, that, that conversation goes very differently. 
if she's not a Christian, if she doesn't love Jesus, if she doesn't want to make life about him. Now, that, that was still really hard. It wasn't easy to move to Caroline Springs. It was easier, right? Because our, our mission was to make all of life about him. So that means that we might have to move. And it might, it might mean we have to move again. It might move, mean that we have to go overseas and be missionaries or move to, I don't know, somewhere bad like Tasmania. <laughs> right? I don't know. It might mean that we have to go somewhere, right? But if, you, if you're together with an unbeliever, right, what, your, your mission's going to be, it's, it's going to be sabotaged because you can't have undivided devotion to the Lord. They, just don't, they won't understand that. Even if they're like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, I love you. Uh, like, we can, I, I respect that. That's not the same thing. Tolerance isn't the same as having someone side by side as you put step by step t- together towards the glory of God. Just not the same thing. And then the, the last question. I'm married and unhappy. What should I do? This is a hard question, I think. Yeah, because the reality is, is that we live in a society where there are lots of unhappy marriages. And we, even within the church, there's a lot of unhappiness in the marriage. And you know, I want to I mourn with the people who are unhappy. And I want to you know, sit with them and chat to them. And I want to make sure that before you know, I say anything else, that there's nothing more going on. There's no abuse going on. There's nothing like that happening, right? But I also want to say, like, why are you pursuing your happiness in your husband like, or your wife? Because they will disappoint you. Like, don't pursue satisfaction in your partner, whether you're dating or in your marriage. Right? Pursue satisfaction in Jesus. Like, he's the one who can satisfy your soul. He's the one who has the rivers of eternal life. He's the one... Like that you're meant to pursue your satisfaction in and your joy in. And I honestly think that when we're, when we're doing that, and especially when, the other, like when both parties are doing that, like things, just, things work better. Like it's not like you'll never have an argument or you'll never be unhappy or that you won't be sad or whatever like that. But they work better because the point isn't that I'm seeking satisfaction in my partner, it's that I'm seeking satisfaction in Christ who can actually... Fulfill that. Like, what is, I love what Colossians says. Right? Colossians says, whatever, uh, sorry, Corinthians. Colossians says it as well. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the point. How, that's a great diagnostic question to ask ourselves. Like, am I in this for the glory of God? Am I in this marriage for the glory of God? Am I in this relationship for the glory of God? Am I single for the glory of God? Am I doing all these things for the glory of God? That's the point, right? That's what drives us forward. And I love what Joni Erickson Tata said. So she's, she's a paraplegic. She dived into a lake one day. It was too shallow. She lost... You know, sensation in her body. That was in 1960-something, 1967 right there. And this is what she said. Not long after the 1967 accident in which I became paralyzed, I heartily embraced God's plan for my life. 
But after the 80s, something new and ominous was added to the mix. I began to experience chronic pain. At times, the pain overwhelmed me to the point of panic. I then picked up Desiring God, which is a book by John Piper. And after reading it, something clicked. I realized that the stakes were far greater and far more immense and cosmic than merely my satisfaction with a wheelchair and its unpleasant baggage. I shifted my focus from chronic pain and onto God. His glory was at stake, and that made my satisfaction in Him, not satisfaction with the way things were, the real issue. It was no longer being a matter of being content with His plan for my life. It was a matter of finding Him utterly and supremely the source of all contentment. This much to my delight would give Him the greatest glory. But in every and any circumstance, we can shift our eyes from whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever the source of our unhappiness, our dissatisfaction, our discontentment, our lack of joy, and place them onto Jesus and onto God who is able to satisfy all things. Right? Jono said it ages ago. I think it was on the sermon, How Do I Know, my, how do I know God's Will? He said, you know, if you're married, that's God's will for you. I'm not saying this to like, go get a divorce or do anything like that. It's just not about the marriage. Like even outside of that, are you pursuing undivided devotion to the Lord? Because let, let me tell you, like I said, I spent the last week, uh, last four days, you know, in hospital. Hospitals are unpleasant. Like they're stressful places. You know, there's beeps going on, and you know, people say different things and. Um, the reality is, is that the future for, for us is, is unknown at the moment. We don't know whether Sarah's got a tumor or cancer or whatever. Right? We just don't know at the moment. Um, all we know is that it's a growth, right? And you know, what, you know what keeps us centered in that moment? The fact that God is still good and he's still there. Right? And our marriage isn't about each other. It's not about her. It's not about me. It's about him. And so whatever can be used to glorify him, whatever we can do to glorify him, whatever, like it just, it's just not about us anymore. I'm not saying this because we're you know, a great example of Christian marriage. I'm just saying that's the point. Like pursuing undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the big point. So I hope you send in some questions because I know that I haven't dealt the breadth of the topic. But I truly believe that whether you're single, dating, married, whatever, like the big point, secure your undivided attention to the Lord and just bring Him glory. That's the point of your marriage. That's the point of your life. That's the point of your dating. That's the point of your singleness. That's the point of your existence. Do that above all other things. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. And we just pray that as we weigh up these scriptures that we can have the right focus. That we don't get caught up in the wrong things. That we don't start idolizing good gifts that you give us. But instead that we place our eyes on Jesus and pursue him with everything we have. If that's married, let us do it as married. If that's single, then let us do that as singles. 
Let us pursue and love Jesus and make all of life about him because it already is. Let us be a church that is perpetually on mission to bring him glory in all circumstances. And we pray these things in the magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Look at that. Two non-smartphones in the one hand. You don't see that many. Come on. Is that because you need both of them to fulfill all the functions that one smartphone would have? No, I'd need <laughs> many hundreds of them, actually. But um, we're going to address some of the questions, or all of the questions you sent in during that time when um, Jimmy was preaching. So let me find out what those questions are in a second. Okay, first one isn't a question at all. It's just a statement. I want to thank you for this message, Jimmy. Oh, God. Uh, Okay, here we go. This is a long one. Um. (laughs) More questions sent in? Yeah. Uh, Though one is unhappy in marriage doesn't mean um, finding glory and satisfaction in Christ and ignoring all the abuse and provocation that person goes through. Uh, That's the first part. Um, So does glorifying God mean ignoring all that other stuff, the bad stuff? No, and that's, that's, that's why I said, like when I started out that question, I said, you know, if if that's a person who's coming to me with that question, I want to sit with them, and I want to pray with them, I want to mourn with them that they're unhappy, I want to find out what's going on, I want to find out if there's you know, abuse or something deeper that's going on, because that, that's, a, that's a different kind of conversation that we're having. Right? I want to find out about that, and um, you know, that, that looks very differently than um, my husband doesn't clean the rooms enough, right? or he doesn't love me in the right way. That's a very different conversation if there's abuse, either physical or emotional or whatever that looks like. And so, no, it doesn't look like ignoring it um, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second part of the question just references the, the damage that can be done, especially to children in those mm. situations. And, um, yeah, I think... Uh, um, I think we've said before, probably in this series, I feel like we've said before that um, as pastors, both Jimmy and I have a a very, I think probably a very conservative view of divorce, certainly much more conservative than the kind of divorce on demand culture that we live in. Um, And so I have said probably to some of you here this morning, actually, um, in the context of counselling, to just put that out of your mind, put that option out of your mind. Um, don't even countenance that as an option. And then we can start working on the marriage without that kind of distraction. However, I think we've probably got, we're probably more readily amenable to the idea of separation than a lot of people are. Like, we don't see those two things as being anywhere near the same thing. And I think separation should probably come in even before there's any level of abuse. It might just be... Uh, husband not doing what he should be doing and it's happening so often that it's causing a a roadblock 
Yeah. And so sometimes separation is just about saying, um, husband, you're now out of this picture for, even if it's for a week, you're now out of this picture so that you can realise how good you have it, how great your wife and your family is, and you can come back in repentance or, you know, whatever. And so we've done that um, in this church and found it to be helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think the point is that each of these situations needs to be dealt with um, from case to case. Yeah, so if, that, if, if that's you, mm. then the very best thing that you can do is to send a text to me or Jono and say, hey, I really need to chat about something. Because um, it's, sort of, it's a little bit more delicate than a general quest Q&A can uh, deal with, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't ignore it. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that the point of life is to make all of life all that you. So even if you're in that situation, you can still bring glory to God and be satisfied in him. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, uh, next question. Um, I, th- I think we've got three more. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm already married to an unbeliever. How do I make all of life all about Jesus? Yeah, great question. So what do you, what do, you do if you, you're married to an unbeliever? Maybe you're, you weren't a Christian, now you're a Christian, or maybe it's just wasn't a big deal anymore. Here's three things immediately that you can do, right? One is to pray for them without ceasing, right? We believe that... Like last week, what do we say? Like God's the one who saves people. So that's the case, and we gotta we gotta be on our knees. Like there should be patches like on our pants where we're just you know, sitting on the ground, like imploring God to do something and to move and to change things. The the second thing is that you need to be proclaiming the gospel to them, right? Because you know the gospel is the means of salvation, like the good news of Jesus. That's how people get saved. So if you're partner's not a Christian and you want them to become a Christian, the thing you've got to do is proclaim the gospel to them because that's Jesus is the only name by which they can be saved. So be doing that. And the, the other thing is just like, just make all of life all about Jesus to the best of your ability, right? So whatever that looks like and whatever means in whatever ways, make all of life all about Jesus. Like, yes, they, they, might, not be an unbe- they might be an unbeliever and they might not understand, but just, just do it. Um, because the point of life is Jesus. Um, so don't, like Paul even talks about this, he says, you know, don't, if you're, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't divorce them, right? Be like Jesus. You look like you want to say something. I just, uh, I, my mind went to 1 Peter 3. So remember, in, much of the New Testament is written in the context of the first generation of Christians. So you've got a lot of people becoming Christians who are already married. And they've become a Christian, but their husband or their wife hasn't. So this is a very live issue for the early church. And, and Peter addresses it in, in 1 Peter 3 when he's talking generally to wives and husbands. Um, he says uh, in verse 1, Wives, be, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, that is, even if some of them are unbelievers... Uh, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. That's an amazing statement. That's incredible. Um, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, 
But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What is, the translation of that is make all of life all about Jesus. Um, he's, saying, he's not saying don't braid your hair, don't wear gold or don't wear clothes. That would be highly controversial. Um, but he's just saying don't make that the thing that you're all about. Um, make that Jesus. And that's a, a, an amazing um, possibility there that just by making all of life about Jesus, your husband could be won over. Um, that's your wife. Yeah, by, by, by that conduct, by the way you live your life. And so, um, yeah, hold on to that. That's, that's in yeah. God's word. That's Come a great on. promise. Um, and, oh, by the way, this is the first part of that little mission statement is just as important as the second part. So people helping people yeah. is just as important as making all of life all about Jesus. So if you're married to an unbeliever and you're coming along maybe with your kids or maybe alone, that's why the rest of the church is here, so that Come you on. won't be doing that alone. Um, yeah. So reach out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here we go. Um, if your husband or wife is hindering you from pursuing the revealed will of God, specifically revealed in Scripture, but they still identify with Christianity, what should I do if doing God's will puts my marriage in real jeopardy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's tricky. It's a good question. Yep, so I'm married, my husband or my wife... Um, uh, says they're a Christian, but they are hindering me from pursuing what God has revealed in Scripture. Mm. I want to speak carefully. This obviously is a careful question. I think, yeah, what John I just read out, 1 Peter, is that 3? Yeah. Yeah. I think that speaks really wisely to this. So there's marital discord, there's disunity um, because of pursuing Jesus. But you've got to remember the point of all this is to make all of life all about Jesus. That's why we're existing, that's why we're alive. And so like, the opposite isn't true. Like, if, you're, if you're disobeying the revealed will of God, that's not going to be helpful either. Like, it's not like that, that might be short-term helpful um, in relieving some marital issues but it's not going to be long-term helpful um yeah I, I, it's so hard to know what to say to this do you, what do you think Jono? Uh, i think that if you're the person you're married to identifies as a christian um then uh they ought to be coming to church with you if they're coming to church with you then that would be an occasion for church discipline if there's if there's yeah. an issue uh, where a spouse is preventing or hindering uh, uh, their spouse from pursuing what God has revealed in Scripture, that's where you can go to the pastors of the church and say, this is the situation, and then it would be our role to point that out and to call for repentance, and we take it from there. Uh, if they're claiming to be a Christian but aren't going to church, that's an issue in itself, um, but it does make it harder for us to speak into that situation. We would still pursue that if that's what you'd want us to do, but it gives us less kind of authority to be calling that out 
Um, so again, this is obviously is a, a case-by-case thing, um, but church intervention can be something that uh, can be much more effective than um, the other option, which is often just nagging. Um, what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 3 is don't take the nagging option. If, it's an option, if the option is between opening your mouth nagging and being quiet and submissive, then take that option. That's, a bit, that's going to be more productive in bringing your uh, husband or wife to, to faith. Um, but, but we're pretty good at nagging, and, um, and God has given us authority as pastors to do that. Yeah. Professional um, naggers. Professionally. Yeah. Um, we should put that on our CVs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hope that's helpful, but... Again, as with all of these things, please come and speak to us uh, if you want to go deeper into this. Oh, man, we're getting more. Um, Church service is never going to actually end. We're yeah. just going to get an endless supply of new text messages. Yeah. Um, Do you want to make this the last one? Yeah, okay. Um, we'll respond to any other ones throughout the week. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is a... I'm sure this is something that all the married people can relate to. Um, uh, sorry, we just got another message. <laughs> um, uh, so my uh, spouse and I feel like we have fallen out of love. Mm. That's all. Um. Yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to say here. So, like, one of the, there's, a, there's a great video that, that um, I've shown all of my interns, like, multiple times. There's this guy, Vody Borkum, and he's talking about this. And he just says, what, one of the things we've done is we've really bought into this idea of Greco-Roman love, right, where, like, the little Cupid comes and he shoots his arrow and, like, you get hit and, like, oh, wow, I'm in love with you. It's so wonderful. And then... Um, like, that's sort of how it works. That's not how love works. <laughs> like, I don't get hit with an arrow. Like, I said, ah, Sarah, you're attractive and cool. Let's go for coffee. And then I made sure that I pursued her and, like, did things to make sure that I love her. Like, you know, if that's, if that's true, if, if our marriages are dependent upon our feelings for each other, then I'm not going to be married very long. Because I come home all the time. I don't, I don't want to be with Sarah sometimes. I'm tired. I'd rather play Xbox. Right? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's honestly a more appealing option sometimes. But what do I do? I go, no, no, no. I, this is so important to me that I'm going to put in the effort and the hard yards even when it doesn't feel like, you know, I don't know, the first night and there's passion and whatever, right? Because what, what I know to be true is that the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greenest where you water it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to water it, I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to pour my energy into loving her. Um, you know, I, I really love, one of the things, Sarah and I, this is so smart of me, by the way, I told her that we needed to buy an Xbox, a new one, because it had a Blu-ray player so we could watch our wedding DVD, which we did. <laughs> that was so smart. And, uh, but we, so we went away on holidays, and... We did that, right? We watched our wedding DVD, and the, one of the really cool things was that we got to rewatch this man's sermon 
at our wedding day where he told us that our marriage isn't going to be dependent upon our feelings. It's going to be based upon our actions for each other. Like it's going to be based on us investing into each other. And that was such helpful advice. <laughs> um, so if you're not feeling in love right now, don't trust your feelings. Like just say, this is who God wants me to be married to. I'm going to invest my energies into loving them. And that's like, ah, what do I else want to say? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This German pastor, theologian, this beautiful writer, and um, he, okay, he tried to kill Hitler, which is bad, but <laughs> sort of, right? And uh, he was in prison for it, and he was about to be executed, and his best friend was um, going to marry his, uh, I think his niece or his little sister, something like that. And um, he wrote this line that he was going to preach at the, the wedding, which he wasn't able to, but he said, you know, before now, it was love that has brought about the marriage, but from now on, the marriage will sustain the love. I think that's so profound. The marriage will sustain the love, not because like, you take it for granted, because you invest in it. That's, that's how I think it works. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Let me just finish with one little slogan that I keep in my mind which helps me as Renee and I, you know, 11 years in, struggle with this very thing, not feeling um, what we espouse. About, we espouse to one another, we, we love one another, but we don't experience that in our feelings. And, um, and the little slogan is that the, the, um, the flowers of romance grow in the soil of covenant keeping. Mm, so on. the flowers of romance are good. Like, we, it's not that feelings are not important we want to feel love we want to experience love we want to have those fireworks moments 20 30 50 60 years into our marriage but that those flowers grow in the soil of covenant keeping and when you start just pursuing flowers this is where you get people who go through six and seven marriages right because they they want to get to the flowers without investing in the covenant um so uh Again, this is about the marriage sustaining the love, the covenant producing the flowers. Um, all right, I think we've used up our time. Um, uh, I think um, there's much yet to be said. So um, if you do have more questions, you can text them in and we'll address them during the week. We might make a little video trying to answer them. But even better, come and uh, make a time to catch up because this is obviously really important stuff. Um, also, if you are on the dating side of the question and you want to know more of the practical kind of stuff to do with dating, um, Jimmy and I both have um, given uh, t- talks on, on that topic as well, so be, be happy to I thought you were going to say more. we've dated widely, so you can I've, come up this way. I've dated all the women, <laughs> and so, yeah. All right, man, you can take a seat. I'm going to finish this up.